Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse number 11 and extending through verse number 20. Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 20. When you got it, say, oh yeah. All right, all right. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible this evening. And God's Word reads like this, beginning with verse 10. It says, finally... Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor, every bit of the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. How do you do all to stand? You put on the whole armor of God. It doesn't say just, just put on maybe, maybe a helmet and you'll be fine. It says put on the whole armor of God so that you will have done everything you know how to do to stand. Verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints, not just some of them. And for me, that utterance may be given to me. Pray, I pray, Lord, you give me the words that I may open my mouth timidly. No? boldly, is that, what the, is that what God's word says? That I may open my mouth sometimes to make known, no? To open my mouth boldly. That's what God is asking me to do. To open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If you're a note taker in the house, I'm not entitled my message. All you can do is all you can do. Mm. Let's pray. Father, I give you praise, Lord. I give you thanks for your word, for your unchanging, unmitigated word. Father God, I thank you, Lord, because you have given it to these, your saints, Father, that their lives may be forever changed and bettered because of the words spoken, Father God. I pray, Lord, that as we, as we get into your things this evening, Father God, that you would have your spirit move in this place in a magnificent way, resting upon hearts and minds and souls, Lord, to those comforting those who need comforting, Lord, and changing those who need to be changed, Father God. Anoint my lips for your service. May I rightly divide your word in all of this we ask. Oh, and one more thing. Please bless the Texas Aggies, Father God, as they enter into March Madness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. How many of you were good kids when you were growing up? One, just two of you? That's it? Three? The rest of you? Lord, Lord, help you. Did anybody in here get into some trouble when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You know, I was I was a, a pretty good kid for my parents. And now let me let me qualify that. I, I never got arrested. As a matter of fact, I never got sent to the principal's office when I was in school. I was I was the kid <laughs> I was the kid who had 12 years perfect attendance. In I'm that kid. 
I'm that kid, right. And back there, they didn't give any scholarships or iPads. They, they didn't even give me a thank you. It was just, all right, well, you did it. That's good. And so, and so yeah, I was, I was a fairly good kid. I didn't get into, into much trouble. Um, I served as a student council president, and I was a card-carrying member of the chess club and the Young Republicans Club and all of that. And so, yeah, I was the nerd. I was the nerd in school. Um, but make no mistake about it, I, <laughs> I, um, I, did, I, I caused my, my parents, you know, a little bit of grief, you know, growing up. Uh, I was a pain in my mama's side every now and then. Now, anybody who knew my mama knew that she was a wonderful woman of God. She had patience that would make Job ashamed. I'm convinced that Mother Teresa would call her and ask her for advice on how to keep their patience. Because my mom was this towering, uh, you know, figure in my life and the most patient person that I think I have ever met. I have three kids. My eldest, his name is Josh. He's 22 years old um, uh, and he is a joy. None of my kids have given me much, much, much uh, sorrow. Um, Josh is 22. He lives in San Antonio. He's going to UTSA. He's a, a sophomore there and enjoying San Antonio. He, he's, he grew up just a quiet kid. He never got into much trouble. Um, he uh, never had the need to be the life of the party. He, um, he is one of those guys who couldn't go up to a stranger to introduce himself to save his life. You know, he, has, he and my youngest uh, have trouble even talking to a waiter, giving an order. And so, uh, but, but he's, he was, he's a great kid, um, and, and he has never given me much problem. He's just really, really quiet-natured. Now, my youngest, Emily, is 17. Most of you know her. Um, she works the, the registration, the kids' registration area. She came out of the womb with a notarized 10-year plan for her life that is to be reviewed quarterly and adjusted as needed. And so uh, she knows exactly what she likes. My Emily has a distinct personality. She loves to yell at her father, um, but she does it in a very loving way and just is a great, great kid. I mean, she is a fantastic fantastic kid, but she's also quiet-natured. She only has a handful of friends, and out of those handful, there's only maybe one or two that she trusts enough to tell anything to. And so she is also a very, very quiet, quiet person. Um, they, uh, again, don't like talking to very many people, and their, their circle of friends is very, very tight. And then there's Jordan. My middle child, my eldest daughter, the twinkle in my eye, Dios mío. Uh, and for those of you who don't know Spanish, that means, oh, my Lord. She is a handful. My eldest daughter, Jordan, is about to celebrate her 20th birthday uh, in, uh, in a couple, well, na actually next, next week. And she's about to graduate from Bible school at Christ for the Nations. <clears throat> Praise God for that. She is just like her dad if her dad was on crack. She, she has this bubbly personality that almost gets on your nerves. She uh, is the life of the party. The party doesn't start until she gets there, right? Uh, all of the principals at Carroll High School still know her and they sing songs about her. She got sent to the principal's office many, many times until the teachers finally figured out that it was useless sending her to the principal's office because the principals liked having her there. She turned it into a party and convinced them that the teacher was the problem and it wasn't her. And so she has, she has this, uh, this, I mean, just a fantastic personality, but oh my word, she is, um, she is hyper and, 
just over the top, but my goodness, she loves the Lord. She loves the Lord with all of her heart. She is going to be a fantastic youth pastor uh, someday, but poor thing, she is me. She is me all over. Over time, I grew out of it. I, was, I learned how to control myself. Can somebody say something like I, I grew out of it, right? All right, all right. <clears throat> I learned to settle down. I learned to calm myself. Uh, I was a good kid, but I've always been outgoing and really unafraid to talk to people. One day, and I'll never forget this day, it, was, it had to have been a Saturday, and I was either 10 or 11 years old. My mom decided to wake me up and take me with her shopping. That was mistake number one. She took me with her. I was super hyper that morning. I don't know what I had eaten or what, what happened, but I was really hyper, and I was singing these songs. Well, my mom, uh, again, she has the patience of Job. She is, she is um, just a fantastic person. But I must have been getting on her nerves because uh, no sooner than maybe 10 minutes after we, we reached the store, she had to set me aside. She stopped the shopping cart, set me aside, and had to have a talk with me. She said, sweetheart, you're being a little too loud. And she smiled as she said it, you know, just really loving and patient with me. And she smiled as she said it, and she said, you, if you don't mind, just please just tone it down just a little bit, and we'll get through this together. Well, about ten more minutes goes by, and she had to stop the card again, because apparently I wasn't too quiet enough for her. And so she had talk number two with me and said, sweetheart, you really, I'm telling you, just if you can just tone it down just a little bit, we really would appreciate it. We really would appreciate it. And so she had to talk with me again. It, it couldn't have been not even ten minutes. She, she had to have talk number three with me. And this talk came with a warning. And she uh, looked me in the eyes, and she smiled, and she said, you're going to need to settle down, or we're going to have to come up with another plan, sweetheart. And that's exactly how she said it. We'll have to come up with another plan, sweetheart. And she smiled as she said it. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I mean, what does that mean to a 10-year-old? We're going to have to come up with another plan? What does that mean? So... Me being who I am, I employed the help of people around me. And I said, what do you think my mama meant when she said we needed to come up with another plan? And it embarrassed her to no end. And she looked at me and gave me that smile again. And she says, I have a surprise for you. And I'm like, great, I'm in the mood for a surprise. She said, come on, follow me. She took me to the car. We got in the car. She said, you're going to love this surprise. I'm all in, right? I'm believing this woman. She's, she's got a surprise for me, and it's going to be wonderful, and I'm going to love it. And she starts driving, and, and soon I notice we're back in my neighborhood again. She said, it's in the, we, we park, right? We park in the driveway. She said, it's in the house. She opens up the front door. I go rushing in. She closes the door behind me. And locks the door and drives away. Now I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, maybe she forgot something at the store. She'll be right back, you know. And so, you know, a few hours later, she comes back and and I said, Mom, where's my surprise? What what was my surprise? And she says, Surprise! I left you at home. <laughs> and that was my surprise. Years later, we were remembering that story and just really laughing about it. And I asked her what she was thinking at the time. And she said, you know what, Mijo? She said, sometimes you just got to start over again. You're in, you're in a situation, and sometimes you just got to start over again. And you know what? Those words really penetrated my heart really penetrated my, my mind, and, and it caused me to think about what she had just said. Sometimes you just got to start over again. And it impacted me in, a, in an enormous way in my life. How many of you know that sometimes after you've done all that you know to do, you just have to move on? 
Sometimes when you've done everything that you know to do, you prayed about it, you cried about it, you cried so often and so hard that you don't have any more tears to cry. Sometimes you just got to pick up what you got left and move on to something else. In six weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter. Uh, and one of the stories that you will undoubtedly hear about or read about maybe on your own is about Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus is on the road leading, uh, leading to the garden. He had just left the, um, the upper room with the, with the disciples, and he is on his way, and he's got something very particular in mind about what is going to be happening very soon. He's talking to the disciples. He's ministering to the disciples as, as they're walking down the road. I'm trying to picture it in my head. And he's, he's talking with him. And I imagine that there's a sense of urgency in his voice. I imagine that there's a sense of urgency in his head. There's a, there's a, there's a message, that, uh, uh, something that he needs to desperately tell them. And, and it's very important that they get this. But first, there's something I've got to do. I've got to talk to my father first, and then I want to talk to you guys. I'm going to minister to you. I've got some last instructions for you. I imagine that he knew what was going to happen before it happened. And so there was, it was going to be impossible for him to say everything that was on his heart. But I know that he must have, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I know that he must have left some really important instructions for, for these close friends of his, for his disciples. It would be the, really the last opportunity that he would have. If you remember correctly, he'd be arrested in the garden. I, I think he probably knew that. And so being both man and God... I imagine he knew this is this is it. This is this is the last time I'm going to get to talk to them. So I imagine he said some really important things to them. Please do this and look after this person and please please go back to this place. Remember there was the believers there. They really really need to hear about me. Please go back to this church over here. Oh, and don't forget that pastor over there. I, I really liked him a lot. Please, please, please go and minister to him. Take care of him. Make sure that he doesn't need anything. I imagine that there was some really important last-minute instructions. They get to the garden, though, and there were 11 that were walking with him. Judas already having gone to do what he was going to do. He leaves eight of them at the edge of the garden. And he takes three, his closest three, with him a little bit further into the garden. He says, come on, come on, Peter. James, John, you, you guys come too. And he took those three and he says, I want you to do something very important. Please, please listen to me. Listen to me. I got something really, I, I got something going on here. You're going to find out what's going on here in a little bit. I need for you to pray. Please just, I know it's been a long day. You've been up for, for a long, long time. We got up really early this morning, but I really need for you to, to just sit here and pray. Things are happening. Things are in motion already. And, and I... It's important to me. This is, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is the master. They called him master. Talking to his trusted ones, his three most important trusted ones. And he says, look, I, I just need for you to do this for me. Please pray. Stay awake and pray. He goes into the garden further and he falls on his face. And he immediately begins a conversation with the father. And he says, Father, you know my heart. You know, you know that I don't want this to happen the way that it's going to happen, Father God. If there's anything that you can do, if there's any way that we can do this differently, I'm begging you, please, please allow it to happen differently. But all of that aside... 
what I want even more is for your will to be done. I don't want this to happen. I know what's about to happen here. I'm about to to experience things that I don't want to experience. I'm about to go through through trials and tribulations like no other in history has ever gone through or will ever go through in their lives. I'm doing this for them. But if there's any other way, please, I'm begging you, please, let's, Let's do this differently. But I want to make this clear to you. I want to make this clear to you, Father. Not my will. I want your will to be done. And because he wanted God's will to be done, we are able to sit here with hope in our lives. You see what I'm saying? Because he did what he did and and, and came to the realization that there was nothing that was going to be able to be changed, we we are people of hope. We, We can say that I have a hope and a future because of his sacrifice on the cross. Without it, I would have been lost. See, without it, none of us in here are good enough to do this on our own, to make heaven on our own. But because he said, let your will be done and not mine, it changed everything for us. It changed everything. He, um, Luke chapter 22 uh, describes how, how angels came to minister to Jesus in the garden. He, uh, he, he eventually goes back, and he, and he goes back three times to find his disciples sleeping. He was disappointed in them. He said, please, I I need for you to to wake up. I need for you to pray with me. He did that three times. On the third time, he didn't bother waking them up. He he said, you know, um, I'm not going to be able to change this. There's nothing that I'm going to be able to do. And so I'm going to have to do something different. I'm just going to have to do this on my own. He knew and understood that there was a situation that he wasn't going to be able to change. He already approached them three times. And now he had to do something different. Sometimes moving on means moving on without the people that you once counted on. How many of you all know that? Sometimes moving on means moving on uh, with another plan. With a plan that you never intended for your life. How many of y'all had a different plan for your life than how it turned out? I know I did. Sometimes moving on means uh, scratching what you thought was true in your life and waking up to God's realization instead of your own. Sometimes moving on means leaving what's familiar and holding on to God's plan instead of your own. All of this has only one thing in common, and it's that you can't control what other people do and other people think. Sometimes you have to come to a realization that there's nothing that I'm going to be able to do, nothing I'm going to be able to say. I'm I'm talking to somebody in here specifically, I know. There's nothing I'm going to be able to do to change somebody else's mind, and so I'm just going to have to move on without them. This is a person who I used to trust, a situation that I was familiar with, a place that I was comfortable in, and now I'm going to have to move because uh, it didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. But if I stand still, or if I conform to somebody else's uh, thinking on how I should act and be, then I've lost too. I've still lost. Sometimes you have to move on from what you know. John Maxwell once said that we can never become what we need by staying where we are. Isn't that a powerful quote? We can never become what we need by staying where we are. Jesus asked them twice to pray, to stay awake and pray with them. He made it clear that it was very important to him. And finally, he decided that he had to move on and fight that war by himself. 
The Bible's filled with a lot of different uh, Bible characters who were in that same position. People who had to eventually encourage themselves. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bibles found in, in um, uh, the book of Samuel. Um, Sam, uh, um, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Story of David at, the, at a city called Ziklag. He was uh, being chased by, by Saul and he had to leave, leave, uh, leave Israel and enter into a foreign land and into a city called Ziklag where he continued to fight for Saul, by the way. He was faithful to his calling. Eventually, he goes out to war and the enemy uh, found out that they had left their camp, came in, took everything that they had, took their women, took their children, took all of their precious goods, took everything. When David and his men came back, they found there was nothing left. There was nothing left. It burned, burned everything, took what was precious to them. And David was sorrowful. He, he, the Bible describes exactly how David felt. He cried until he couldn't cry anymore. His men, his trusted men, his, his best friends wanted to kill him. And the Bible says something amazing. The Bible says that David had to encourage himself in the Lord. He had to pick himself up. <coughs> he had to pick himself up and encourage himself like he's never done in the past, like he's never had to do in the past. People wanted to kill him, and not just any people. His best friends wanted to kill him because of what had happened. And he had to encourage himself in the Lord. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, it's the story of Naaman. Naaman was, was the, uh, the, the head of the army for, um, for, King, uh, for King Amron. Um, uh, is that right? Yeah, King King Aram, and um, of the Syrian army. He wasn't he wasn't an Israeli. He wasn't a, one of God's chosen people. But he was a good man. He was a good man with leprosy. And King King Aram uh, says, "Look, I want you healed. Go go to Israel. I want you to talk to the king of Israel." And uh, because he knows how to get you healed. So he leaves, um, he leaves Syria and he goes to find King Joram. He goes before King Joram and says, please, if you don't mind, please heal me. I, I, need, I need healing in my body. King Joram says, I don't know how to heal you. I, I can't do that. Elisha hears the situation and, and, calls and sends a note to King Joram and says, send Naaman to my house. Naaman was so excited. He was, he was overjoyed. He, says, he said to himself, thank you so much. He said to himself, I, I think I'm going to find my healing now. I'm going to find uh, the comfort that I need in order to be healed. Thank you. He shows up to Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't bother to answer the door. He sends his servant. His servant tells him, go dip seven times. Go dip seven times in the river and you'll be healed. Naaman was ticked. He was mad. He storms off. He says, you know, forget this. I, I'm not going to find what I needed. And his servant says, what do you got to lose? Just go do it. Just go dip. Go dip in the, in the river seven times and see what happens. Naaman had to make a decision at that, at that moment. What am I going to do? My plan doesn't, didn't work. I don't have a choice here. I'm going to have to move in a different direction than I thought was going to happen. See, he had planned it all out in his head. He had planned exactly how the conversation was going to go. He planned out exactly what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And it didn't happen the way that he thought. And so he had to do something different in his life. Naaman had to come to that decision. What am I going to do? In modern times, Albert Einstein uh, wasn't, uh, didn't have the upbringing that we would have pictured for him. See, he dropped out of school. 
Albert Einstein was, um, wasn't very well liked even by his parents. His family didn't like him. He was a quitter. He quit everything that he started. Albert Einstein uh, wanted to be a musician, by the way. He loved playing guitar. He wanted to be a musician, and he, uh, he thought to himself, man, I'm going to make it big in music. Well, it just didn't turn out the way that he thought. He got married. His parents didn't like his wife. It was just an awful situation for him. Finally, he just wasn't making it in music. He wasn't making any money. He wasn't doing what he needed to do. And um, he decided to get into science, and it kind of worked out for him, didn't it? He uh, ended up getting a Nobel Peace Prize uh, in science. Lucille Ball. Do you all remember Lyle of Lucy? Do you all remember Lucille Ball? Lucille, Lucille Ball had um, a, a, an interesting life. Um, she, her, her dad died at a very young age. She, her dad died when she was six or seven years old. And, so, um, and, and her mom got remarried four years after his death. Stepdad was awful, didn't, didn't like her at all. And so he convinced her, her, his wife, uh, Lucille Ball's mom, to send her to his parents' house. Well, his parents were Puritan, uh, uh, were uh, Swedish, and they were um, puritanical. Uh, they were uh, part of a religious cult, um, and, and so life life with them wasn't really wasn't really easy. Um, they they believed that that mirrors were evil, and so one day they caught her looking in a mirror, and beat her severely, and beat her. I mean, to the point where she was near death. She ends up um, um, running away and um, uh, finds this man. Uh, she was 14 when she ran away. Finds this man who was 23 years old and started a relationship with him. Her mom freaks out when she finds out and goes and picks her up, takes her and drops her off at acting school in New York. And a new career was born for her out of all of that. And of course, you know the rest. She became a very successful actress. There was something in Lucille Ball's life, something in Albert Einstein's life that had to change. Their lives didn't go the way they pictured it. And so they had to move on from what they thought was going to be the plan for their life and move on to something else that they th they that they never pictured for themselves sometimes you just have to encourage yourself church sometimes you have to encourage yourself in the lord i'm 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 bringing this to you because i'm and, and, and i'm saying this from experience sometimes things just don't happen the way that we thought they were going to happen and sometimes we stay a little bit too long where we shouldn't stay. Have y'all, has anybody been there before? Sometimes we're, we're in a situation, sometimes we have these friends that we know aren't good for us, but we stay there anyway. Sometimes we're in this place and we know that that place isn't good for us, but we stay there anyway. Sometimes we're in this job and God has something better for us over here, but we stay here because this is fun. We stay here because this is the known, what's comfortable. Sometimes what's known and what's comfortable isn't what you need. Sometimes God has something better. How many of y'all know that God's plan for us is much bigger, much better than anything that we could ever think of for ourselves? God has this way of taking care of his kids. How many of y'all know that? God has this way of loving us like we could never love even ourselves. God knows what he's doing in our lives. He has a vested interest in each and every one of us being successful. He doesn't get any praise. He doesn't get any glory if we're, if we're failing. He needs for us. He wants for us to be successful in all that we put our hands to do. But it, how many of y'all know that he has given us free will? Pastor just spent a whole series talking to us about free will. We have this ability to make these choices. 
And what God is desperately needing from His people is to pay attention. He needs for us to pay attention to His voice. He needs us for, to pay attention to His word. He, we just read a fantastic scripture on how we need to put on the whole armor of God. It doesn't say just, just, just take the sword with you and, and, and you'll be fine. He wants us to put on the whole armor of God, starting with the helmet of salvation. He wants us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He wants us to gird our loins with a, with a belt of truth. Back, in, back in, in the day, guys used to wear long, long garments, long dresses. And, in order, and, and those things used to get in the way of fighting. So they would hike up their, their for lack of a better word, their dress, and they would tuck it under their belt. And that's girding up your loins. How many of y'all know the church needs to do that today? Because there's too many people trying to tell the church what's right, what's moral, what's good. And we can't stand for that anymore. I don't know. Aren't y'all tired? I'm tired of Hollywood trying to tell me what's right. I'm tired of, of politicians trying to dictate what's moral and what's immoral. How are they supposed to know that when Christians are being quiet? If that's our responsibility. That's our job to, to shout from the rooftops what's right, what the word of God is, what's moral and what's immoral. We can't afford to keep quiet anymore, church. We have to, we have to let it be known that we, uh, we stand for righteousness. We need to put on all of the armor of God and, and make sure that we are doing what we need to do to, to impact the world in a positive way. There are lost souls. There are lost people who are desperately looking for answers. And it's not even that they're running from God. They just don't know where to look. We've got hurting people all around us who are looking for truth. We're looking for somebody who makes sense. We've got to be those people. We have to be those people who make sense. We have to be those people who, who, are, who are standing firm in the word of God, who aren't afraid to open up the Bible, who aren't afraid to say, you know what, that's wrong, who aren't, aren't afraid to, to, to open up and tell people what God's word says. We've got to do that because if we don't do that, who is? Who's going to do that? What this requires is for us to get out of what we know, what is familiar, what's comfortable, and to enter into a new place, a new place that's going to sometimes just uh, rub us the wrong way, right? It's just, it's not, I don't know about you guys, I've been public speaking for most of my life, and it's still hard for me to talk to people sometimes. I don't like to be an inconvenience to anybody. I don't like that. I don't like to, to approach people who, who I don't know. But man, I've, sometimes you just got to do it. I, I've been blessed. I was pulled out of a situation and put into a new situation, uh, a work situation. And in this new situation, I have been able to minister to more people than I ever did in full-time ministry. And it's because, it's because I, I am uh, opening myself to the possibility that people aren't going to hate me if I tell them that Jesus loves them. You have got to get into that position where you, man, you've got to speak boldly. You've got to, the word, the word that we just read tells us that you need to speak boldly. You need to put on everything that you know to put on and to boldly proclaim the good news of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Because people need to hear that. We are in a messed up world. How many of y'all know that? This is a messed up place. And it's just going to get worse. Pastor Neil just spent a whole lot of time telling us how this ain't going to get better. It's only going to get worse. It's supposed to get worse. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
we are never going to be able to stand in the latter days if we aren't boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We've got to do that. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us he's given us the whole armor of God. Once you know that you've done all that you can do to fix a situation, listen to me here, guys, and I'm, I'm about to dismiss here. I, I know a little bit about this. I've, 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 I have struggled with uh, with particular relationships in my life. And I know that somebody in here has too. The situation that you wish you could fix, but it's just not fixable. Uh, uh, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or, or you know, a mom or a dad. Or I know a little bit about this. If you continue to beat yourself up about a situation that you can't change and you've done everything that you can do, you are going to be a miserable person the rest of your life. You see, what I had to come to a realization about is that once you've done all you can do, you prayed all that you can pray, you've cried all that you can cry, you've bargained with this person as much as you can bargain, You've done everything that you can do to try to fix the situation. When all of those, you can check all of those boxes, there's a point in your life where you just got to let it go. You just have to move on. Because if you stay there and continue to try to beat your head against this wall, it's not going to help you or them. You've got to remove yourself from that situation and try to be happy over here. Because if you stay over there, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Once you have done all that you can do to fix a situation, it's time to move on, church. And I say this really, really carefully because you've got to check all of those boxes. If you can't, if you can't check all the boxes, you can't say, I prayed about this, I've, I've tried to tried to fix it with this person or with this situation. If you can't check those boxes, you need to go back and try, and try, to, try to do that. But once you've done that and things aren't changing for your own health, you've got to move on. And I say this with as much, as much uh, grace, as carefully as I can. And I say this for a specific reason. You see, I need for you guys to be well in your, in your head and in your heart and your lives because this church is about to explode. This church is about to grow like nobody's business. This church is about to take off. And, and Pastor Neil and, and Miss Cynthia need for all of us to be on board with that vision. You see, they've shown you the plans, haven't they? The plans for the new building, the, the plans for, for what, what's coming up uh, in the very, very near future. See, all of those plans come with responsibility. All of those plans require for each and every one of us not only to be on board, but to have a relationship with God that's going to catapult everybody that we meet to the next level. You see, I envision this church full. I envision for this church to eventually have to have two services because we can't fit them all in one. In order for us to get there, man, we've got to, we've got to make sure that we're ready, that each and every one of us is ready. You see, we're all interdependent. I need for you to, to be in a good place. You need for me to be in a good place. I believe that we can get there in this year. I believe that Easter is going to be the start of something fantastic in this church, in this ministry, but more importantly, in each and every one of your lives. See, I'm declaring good things for you. Do you all receive that? I'm declaring good things for each and every one of you. I'm declaring peace. I'm declaring health. And I'm declaring prosperity in your lives in Jesus' name. I hope that you're receiving that. Let's pray. Father, I give you praise, Lord. I thank you, Father God, for your word. It was a simple message, Lord. It was a different message for me. But, um, but I believe 
that um, toxic relationships are things that we need to make part of our past, not our future. And so I pray, Father God, that you, um, that you lead us in the direction that we are supposed to go and that we are bold enough, that we are well equipped to be able to move when you tell us to move, Father. I thank you, Father God, for your unchanging word. I thank you, Father God, for uh, your spirit. I thank you, Father God, for your promises. Promises like you'll never leave us or forsake us. Promises like um, you uh, want us to succeed. Promises that tell us that our future is secure because of who your son is. Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you have in store for Believe Church. I thank you, Lord, for our pastors, Father God. I thank you, Lord, for the direction that you have us moving in, Father. But I thank you more, Lord, for your Son and for your Holy Spirit that will guide us and lead us in the way that we are to go, Father God. I thank you, Lord, because your word clearly tells us, Father God, that you have something good in store for us. And if we are in a toxic you want us to move on. I thank you, Father God, for that word. May we um, be bold enough to act upon it, Lord. With every head still bowed and every eye still closed, I just I have to I have to ask this. I think that we're all from from home here, but I, I just need to ask this question. You see. In order for any of this to make sense, you've got to be part of the family. For any of this to make sense, your salvation has to be secure. If Jesus were to come back for his church, oh, I wish this would happen. But if he were to come back for his church tonight, right now, we're sitting here and all of a sudden we hear a trumpet blast outside. And and you look around and people are floating through the through the roof floating through the ceilings here's my question to you would you be one of those people would you be one of those people who would be meeting Jesus in the sky the only way that's going to happen is if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you said yes to him use me as you wish it doesn't mean that you have everything right it doesn't mean you have all of the answers it just means that you believe Jesus is the is Lord and Savior, He's the Son of God, and that He died for your sins. That's that's it. That's the only requirement. There's no requirement in the Bible that says you have to be perfect to make heaven. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you have to have said so many uh, of this prayer and so many of that prayer in order to make it. The only requirement is that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, and you need to tonight, just I'm just, I'm just going to make this real quick. Just lift up your hand real quick, and you can put it right back down. Everybody, everybody in the house has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen, amen. Okay, so I want to, I want to move on then. If you are in a place in your life where you're thinking, man, if I stay here any longer, I'm going to explode. I, I need a change in my life. I have to move out of this toxic situation in my life and find some peace, some lasting peace. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand just real quick. I want to stand in agreement with you. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. If you find yourself needing to repair a relationship, raise your hand. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. I see your hands all over this place. It happens to everybody. I I need to raise my hand. It happens to all of us. My prayer tonight, I'm going to stand in agreement. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet right now. We're all going to stand in agreement with each and every one of you who raised your hands right now. In order for this church to move forward, we have got to get to a healthy place in our life. And it starts by purging yourself of things that don't belong. It starts by purging yourself of toxic relationships. It starts by purging yourself, by moving away from things that don't belong in your life as a, as a daughter, as a son of God. 
And so I want to stand in agreement. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these bold people who have raised their hands, Father God. Some of them are in situations that they need to move away from. They know they need to. You've already told them they need to. And yet they're just holding on a little bit too long. I pray, Lord, that you give them that courage, Father God, to take the step of faith, that leap of faith. Father, may they have checked off all of the boxes, Lord. May they have done everything that they know to do to change that situation. May they have already searched your word, asked you personally, bargained and pleaded with these people, with the situation, Lord. If things haven't changed, it's time for them to move on. I pray you give them that courage, Lord. For those who need to repair relationships in this place, Father God. Lord, give them the words to speak, Father. You you know as well as I do, not every relationship is going to be healed. Not every relationship is going to turn around, Father. But as long as we have done everything that we can do, then we can have a a clean conscience, Lord. As long as we have done everything that we can do, Father God, we know that we can move on from from that place, Father God. Because what you don't want us to do above everything else is to stand still. You need us to keep moving, Father God. Even if we don't know where we're going to go, you'll direct us. You'll guide us in the direction we need to go. I pray, Father God, for those relationships, Father God. May they be healed in Jesus' name, Father. For each and every person in this place who needs healing in their heart, healing in their minds, healing in their bodies, Father God, I pray that healing in Jesus' name. For those who are carrying around infirmities, physical infirmities, who are sick in this place, Father God, I pray, Lord, your healing touch upon them, Lord. We thank you for doctors and nurses and medicines and all of that stuff, Father. But you are our great physician. We put our trust on you and you alone, Father God. We thank you, Lord, because you know how to change things around, Lord. I pray, Father God, you be with these, your people, Lord, until we get to come back to this place. I pray, Father God, a restful, peaceful night's sleep upon each and every one of them. Father God, may we be the ambassadors that you have called us to be. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, and everybody in this place can say, Amen. Amen. God bless you folks. We'll see you on Sunday. Be prepared for an anointed word of God.